This is Tommy's Outdoors 107. Folks, on the podcast, we said many times that the most important thing to ensure protection of nature and natural world and to ensure that conservation efforts will be successful and continue to the future is to educate children, is to educate kids, to let them know why conservation and protection of nature is important. And um, we already uh, talked about a book by the great friend of, our, of the podcast, Porik Fogarty from Irish Wildlife Trust, who wrote a book, um, Whittled Away, Vanishing Irish Nature. And today we're going, talk, we're going to talk with Aga Grandovich, uh, who wrote a kid's equivalent of Whittled Away called Remarkable Creatures, a guide to some of Ireland's disappearing animals. Aga not only wrote the book, she also illustrated it. And that's the biggest strength of the book. It's an excellent book for kids to get them educated and interested in nature. Um, and even if you don't have kids or maybe your kids are already educated, I would still recommend buying that book because adult people can learn a thing of two or two from this book as well. Um, we had a great time chatting with Aga. And uh, like I said, I would recommend thoroughly to buying that book. And uh, as usual, before I let you enjoy this episode of the podcast, I am not going to forget to remind you that if you want to support the podcast, share it with your friends and colleagues. Tommysoutdoors.com, we talk about nature, conservation, human-wildlife interactions, rewilding, hunting and fishing, this sort of things. And um, if you want to help me personally to sit at night and edit and keep editing those episodes, you can buy me a coffee now. Buymeacoffee.com slash Outdoors. link in the description of the show. Get in there and make sure I have always a coffee ready while I'm sitting at night and editing those episodes for you. So that's it, folks. Uh, without any further ado, uh, ladies and gentlemen, Aga Grandovich and her fantastic book, Remarkable Creatures, a guide to some of Ireland's disappearing animals. Enjoy. Aga, welcome to the show. Welcome to Tommy's Outdoors. Hello, Tommy. How are you? Very good. Good to see you. Good to good to see you. Good to speak to you uh, on the podcast. Thanks. Likewise. Thank you for inviting me. <laughs> very good. Very good. Listen, uh, we're here. Like this is like a bit, a little bit of a untypical episode. We're going to talk about book, and we had a lot of episodes about books, but this is like a children's book. Um, and you know podcast is all about education and this is about the education and especially education especially important in the young age so i am delighted um to have this opportunity to talk to you and maybe like to set up the scene maybe like a round of introductions like um how how it come to be like what made you to write this book and and just give us a little bit of a background story what was your thought process when deciding to write this book Okay, so as a since I was a child, I loved animals, I loved nature, and I loved collecting nature books, like reference books, books about, you know, all kinds of animals, dogs, cats, wild animals, okay? And then uh, one day, that was quite, quite actually a long um, time gap after that, I decided to make my own book. That was when I... Um, while I was living in Ireland already a few years ago, I decided to uh, work on a book about selected Irish animals. And that book uh, was published by Little Island in 2018. And since then, I started being involved in working on various biodiversity-related projects. And then uh, two years ago, more or less, I thought about creating a new book, this time um, 
on my own. And that's how Remarkable Creatures, a guide to some of Ireland's disappearing animals, was born. So like the previous book I created together with a writer, Rob Maguire, and this book I um, I wrote on my own, and I had a fantastic editor, Gina McCradden, who helped to polish the text and make it, you know, nice and uh, nice to read. And, uh, you know, there's some, not, not, it's, it's a, she's a fantastic writer, so... As soon as you start reading this, you will see some no little. And, and I just want to—I just want to say for the people to appreciate, like how hard it is to write a book not in your first language. Was, it is was, also, was that is, was that a significant part of a challenge? Uh, I don't think that's the the worst part. The the most difficult part that's what I could uh, for me at least was the research learning about you know all these animals finding facts for some animals I could not find enough facts so I had to really dig deep then I had uh, I was consulting a zoologist Catherine Cassis who helped me enormously with this project so she supplied me the information I was missing and then I was putting this all together you know refining tweaking editing and then when i was happy with the final text i went to my editor and she helped to make it like you know perfect polished and you know just gotcha, fine gotcha, gotcha well but I, I also think that the you know the main attraction and the main strength of that book are are wonderful illustrations right you're you're an illustrator by, by trade yes. am i correct uh, by trade, actually, I started as graphic designer. So I studied graphic design, fine arts, and traditional photography uh, back in Poland. And uh, my focus was graphic design for all these years, 20 years plus. But every now and then, I, I did some illustrations. So some illustrations were, were for books. I used to design book covers back in Poland, and I illustrated a few books in Poland. And uh, when I moved to Ireland, I did not have this type of opportunity. So I was using my illustration skills in advertising campaigns in various design projects. But you know, this a few years ago, I had again this need to be more involved in illustration. So I started, you know, um, refining my skills. They were a bit rusty you know, after such a long break in, in everyday drawing. And yeah, after that, I decided I will change my career path so I started leaving graphic design work behind and um, I just find drawing animals working on nature related projects is somehow much more um, rewarding for me okay I like working on projects that bring give something to the community so that's why I like working on books on information boards on various like publications posters for city councils for town councils okay right so so it was like a transition from the corporate setting yes exactly really. yes wow. so like in the in the corporate world you're kind of anonymous okay you design for these different brands and you just don't have much back out of this apartment you know a good paycheck okay and that's it while you're working on projects that uh, that you know can benefit loads of people like to you know especially i like working for children so I like books for children and th this brings so much joy and i find it so rewarding so pleasant and in the process you mean you meet so many amazing people that really appreciate what your work you know spread the word and you know all your prints and and copies of the book so yeah that's i find that's fantastic yeah yeah um so was there was your aim right from the get-go like you said you you you, you like uh working and doing stuff for for children but was there part of your motivation um to like plant that seed in the next generation of people um you know plant that seed for, about the need of protecting nature and about the all those animals that are disappearing because I f i'm mm -hmm. finding this incredibly important because i always say like we have all these problems that we all know about you're right biodiversity loss climate change all these things and and we should focus on some short-term actions but really to address these problems the long game is what matters and the long game is education and and making sure that people who are like this this book is rated 10 to 15 years old that these are uh, exactly people who should know about like oh what's up what's going on 
right? Yes, that's that's, that's totally correct. It's like you, know, you have to start this education at a very young age, and I find Ireland actually is very good at this. There's so many initiatives like run by school and libraries. Libraries are brilliant, you know, uh, with that because there's so many. Um, different activities related with uh, nature for children, like, you know, scavenger hunts, drawing workshops, like the events at the book festivals. And, you know, at schools, there are like things like building, uh, like the insect hotels. That's such a popular thing these days, okay? And then, again, like teachers, I noticed, they like to introduce this uh this type of education to children at a very young age. So, like, there's many um, initiatives related to bees or the pollinators. And you can see it all around. Different organizations uh, create uh, some, you know, not just workshops, but different activities for children and adults alike related to all that. Because, you know, it's a, it is a pressing topic, yeah, as you said. So, like, uh, I don't know how many... Irish animals are endangered now in total, but I think it was around a few hundred. Okay, we are talking about you know not just that the ones we can was they are you know big enough to be spotted, but you know tiny little insects that's what is hiding underneath the, the plants. It's, it's many of them are, are disappearing, so it's it's very important to to raise the awareness. Like for example. Uh, um, an animal from which I have featured in the book, the, the eel, European eel, even though it's critically endangered, not only in Ireland, it's still allowed to 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 be fished. Oh, really? I thought I thought it was it was, there was a ban on fishing an eel in Ireland, at least. And now, last time when I was checking, it was still allowed. And say with the basking sharks, there is now initiative. Um, I heard about that on Irish uh, Wildlife Trust website. So they are mm-hmm. they were getting ready a petition, you know, uh, to, to, to the government, yeah, to make it protected. Yeah, I I have a mixed feelings about that. You know, it's kind of like a. I feel like it. It's a it's a talk and move for the basking shark. I'm all for protection, right? It's not like, but I think it's. I haven't heard about any, you know, cases of problems with them being harassed or anything like that. So I think it's like maybe it's a low-hanging fruit and and kind of having uh, wind under their belt. Um, but I, yeah, I don't know. Let's go back. Let's go back to the eels. It's interesting what you said about the eels. Um, I I was pretty sure that they were banned on fishing for for a significant period of time. Maybe it was lifted. Um, I remember we were going to the to the lake in County Cork when we when we pike fish, and there was an opportunity to to fish for eel. And even when we sometimes fish for pike, and we kind of suspend the bait in the in the water yeah. column, and sometimes you see that bait being chewed on by eels, uh-huh. and it was like, no, but you can't fish for eels. That's that's for that's forbidden. So, but then you're right. We probably, you know, that's interesting. To, something, something to research. But even like you touch on that, that the eel. I remember they, they even in my lifetime, and we're gonna talk about this shifting mm-hmm. baseline syndrome, right? Even in my lifetime, they were so abundant. I remember, yes. like back in Poland when I was a kid, my my parents bought like a bucket of eels, like a huge bucket, 15, 20 liters bucket full mm. of live eels. And then we had to deal with them and then wow. smoke them and do all that stuff. And, and it was like, yeah, they're, you know, they're eels. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, number of years, well, actually a lot of years forward, but then it's like, yeah, it's, it's endangered fish. It's yeah. yes. terrible. And also like if you ever are in a river and you see the eels and you have a dog with you that would like to, you know, to play with that catch, you know, some, some dogs like, like would like that. So you just have to remember they, they are poisonous, so their blood is poisonous. So if a dog bites um, uncooked eel, it might be really, really dangerous for, for the animal. Okay, oh, so I didn't it's know that. Like a, even a tiny amount of eel blood is enough to kill a person. Really? Yes, yeah, so only well-cooked eel should be Oh, wow, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. I know that I knew that you're you when you when you're gutting eel, then you have like this mm-hmm. this this like a blood spine or whatever you call it, and you need to remove that. Yeah. But I never yes. knew it's it's poisonous. 
Yeah, so you have to wash your hands well. <laughs> don't lick them. Yeah, right, <laughs> and then right, don't right. let your dog lick it. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's very that's very interesting. Listen, let's let's talk about a little bit of a structure of the book. Because I I think it's um it's an extremely good idea to keep people in, engaged with the book. Because you have a description and you have a, like a fun facts and did you know, but then you also have this section when you go and you and you put like activity for kids that what they can do about stuff. Yes. So for example, pearl mussel, uh, which is again one of the other species that is very, very endangered. And if, if anyone from Pearl Pearl Mussel project listening to that, shout outs you guys. Uh, I still want to do the episode with you. Send them an email <laughs> and it was 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 it totally ignored. So <laughs> <laughs> if you're listening to that folks, you can you can uh, make up for that and uh Give me a shout. I would love to do the podcast about the Pearl Muscle Project. But anyway, like in a Pearl Muscle, epi uh, not episode, but in a Pearl Muscle uh, chapter, mm -hmm. you have this activity like, oh, let's build a water filter. And it's kind of get the mindset going, like how they filter water and all that that thing. So I, I think it was a brilliant idea. Yeah, because you know, Pearl Muscles are so important for, for the rivers because it's, uh, they filter the water, okay? So that's why I thought uh, a little... Filter, filter made out of a bottle and gravel and sand and you know twigs and pebbles that would be a nice activity for children to see how the water can be filtered yeah and uh, i like actually this this chapter because prayer masks are quite quite amazing so they can live really long life so now i have a fact here that um okay it's estimated they could reach the age of 250 years, okay? And the oldest one uh, was found in Estonia and it was 134 years old. Yes. Now, the way we count, we estimate the age, uh, we count the, the, the ridges on its shell, okay? So it's like with trees, with the rings in the, on the tree trunk. They represent uh, winter rest periods. Okay, so uh, so they slow the growth slows down. Yes. Wow. Yeah. So then the, the estimating counting the age can be quite accurate. Because Do you that. know how the situation looks like at the moment with with pearl mussel? Is it is it all in a decline or is it like any? So it's critically endangered. That's what I know. And because okay, let's see what we have here. Uh, so population of European freshwater pearl mussels have dropped by a devastating 90% in the last 100 years. Today, 27 populations are protected in special areas of conservation in the Republic of Ireland, and only three substantial populations exist in Northern Ireland. Okay, so it's it's not it's quite grim, not a um, not a great. Uh, yeah, not great I think stats. that the that the water courses in general are not in a good shape in in Ireland and you know yes. all over the, the the Europe or the world. It's, yes, it's all related to to farming, you know, to the waste waste coming from, uh, from from farms and from. Yeah, I think they they need to they need to do these buffer zones. Yeah. If there is a water course and there's mm -hmm. a field, there needs to be like a buffer zone between yes. the field and a, and a, and so they, um, I don't know, discharge for the want of the better word from the field mm -hmm. doesn't get into the water or get, or get yes, get, uh, it's filtered and stopped. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's a, that's a pearl, pearl mussel. Um, mm -hmm. what I noticed as well, there's a, a lot of, you, 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 you put a lot of energy and, and, and a significant portion of the book are these, on glamorous like insects there's yes. a, a bees and beetles and all these little little things that are mm -hmm. usually right we have we never see those memes on on social media like oh big yeah. charismatic megafauna mm -hmm. everybody's wants to protect them but the, mm -hmm. the the little folks the little fellows who just creepy crawlies under the bushes like nobody's like ah you know there are bugs but they're super important of course, they don't. They never get enough attention. Yes, yeah? so I have just one one um, um, weevil here, one little one little bug, and I, actually no, sorry, I have great yellow bumblebee. But you know, everybody knows about bumblebees. Everybody loves them. And then I have a thrift clearing, which is a moth, quite a pretty moth, and a wall brown, which is a butterfly. But I I pick the weevil because I think they are so. Adorable, <laughs> the shape, the, the, the snout they have—they're just yes. so cute. I have actually one, one here. I know where it's from. 
some tropical country. This one is quite large. Oh, wow. Okay, that's a specimen I have in a box. It's called banded weevil. It's um, oh. black and uh, different shades of blue. Mm-hmm. So I think actually when I was looking at this little guy, I thought about uh, including one of the Irish ones in the book. So the, this one I have in the book, Horsetail Sloth Weevil, is very tiny. It's like, let me check. Again, is it like one, you know, between 2.2 and 3.3 millimeters long. So really difficult to spot. And it lives only in where in the, in the areas where horsetail plant uh, grows. So along the rivers. Yeah. It's, fascin- it's fascinating. Like it, it's... <laughs> In many cases, you, it's not like enough to protect one one animal or one species. You need the entire ecosystem. You need you need a plant, and to have these plants, you need something else. You need the soil quality, and to get that soil quality, you need other things that live in the soil. And it's yes, it's all connected. That's the part of a problem, right? That that we seems to be affecting something down the chain, mm-hmm. and then as a result, some other animal you know suffers. That's yeah. That's um. It's it's great. Like I just I just I just you know can't praise you enough to do that you were doing. Like what was your thought process? Like how did you come up with the idea of of uh, including those activities in in each chapter? Just you know to make it children friendly, okay, and to to, to keep them entertained, so they they just they just don't. Uh, read and learn, but I can also do something, and that uh, I did it, hoping that that will make them remember these animals better. Okay, remember they function in the ecosystem, their role, what they do, and how important they are. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, and like I was, we were saying before the before we started recording that, you know, folks, even it's a children's book. Like I, I I know a lot of thirty something and forty somethings who would benefit from that book, actually read it and be, you know that's that shifting baseline syndrome. It's terrible. We we talked about this on the podcast many times, but we kind of tend to, you know, assume what's normal without and and it's it's kind of like removed from our consciousness how it used to be because we never. Uh, I, I think Mary Caldwell, who I uh, talked to on uh, 101, was talking in her book about the um, extinction of experience. I love that phrase mm-hmm. because it's like yeah. you you cannot you cannot care and you cannot protect something that you don't even it's not even in your brain that it was there. It's mm-hmm. supposed to be there. It's supposed to be like that. Yes, I agree with that. Do you do you see do you find a Irish, like obviously you, 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 you know, similar to myself, you came from from Poland. Actually, we never said about that, but because yeah, like, we're from the same country. Yes, kind of That's that's uh, that's a known fact. Yes, we are Polish. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You are actually second Polish person on on a, on a podcast. Does it feel weird talking to, in English to a Polish person? Actually, it feels easier after so many years in Ireland. I know even my accent is still Polish. I'm terrible with accents. I cannot hear the difference. That's why I cannot really change it. So it. It feels easier to me to speak Polish. I even think, sorry, speak English. I even think in English. Sometimes when I have to talk to someone in Polish, I find difficult. I'm missing words, and then our conversation is quite funny. It's very patchy, you know, a bit of Polish words, a bit of English words. Mm-hmm. So, like uh, a few years ago, I remember I even started talking to my mom in English, <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it was yeah, quite embarrassing for me when I realized what I'm doing. <laughs> I know, I know. It, it, it. it I, I totally, I, I totally, you know, agree with you. It's the same, especially if you're kind of um, learn something already in English, and then yeah. you kind of need to retrospectively almost go yes. back. Is it like oh, how would they say it in Polish? <laughs> yeah, I can't believe how many times I had to use Google Translate to, to translate an English word to a Polish one because I forgot. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. So, but where I was going with that, um, do you, how, how, yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to try to ask that question with a, not as a loaded question. So how do you find in comparison the, the nature and the state of nature in Poland, what you remember compared to what, what's in Ireland? 
Now, first of all, there's a huge difference in the size of the countries, okay? So Poland is much bigger than Ireland, and because of that, there's so much more wildlife and so much more diverse. Like, even when it comes to amphibians, here we have just a natterjack toad and a common frog, and then we have a newt, and I think that's it. That's these three guys. And... Yes, that's it. Yeah, because it's the reptile one, one reptile, the um, viviparous lizard. And in Poland, we have so many different types, and there is such an abundance of them. I mean, at least when I was a child, there was plenty of them everywhere. In every forest, we was beside every lake, you could hear the frogs, frogs you could see them. But, but here, I know that in, in W Mountains, I live uh, close to them, so whenever I go for a walk in spring, I can see a lot of uh, tadpoles. A lot of frogs' eggs, so yeah, that's um, that's that's good. That's a good sign. It just you know the, the number of different species is so much uh, lower here. Like in Poland, we still have wild uh, wolves. We have bears mm. here. You know they're extinct. We have lots of birds of prey. Do we still have eagles? Do you, do you know where in Poland? In, in Poland, yeah. Can't we do. Remember now. We yeah, do. We do. I think yeah, we do. Yeah, I'm pretty yeah. sure. So like here, the eagles have been. Uh, all you know killed many years ago and uh, reintroduced quite recently and uh, a few days ago i read on the news that like 21 chicks i think have been um brought brought to ireland or maybe they 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 hatched so like yeah the population is growing um squirrels we have so many red squirrels in in poland like i never seen a gray one only red ones and here it's so rare to see red ones plenty of gray yeah yeah so that's another see. that's another entire area of the um invasive species and all those mm -hmm. all those reintroductions what are you what are your views on the on these whole reintroduction programs and you know rewilding in general movement uh I believe it's a, it's a great initiative to have so much more biodiversity. I just know that many people won't be happy with that. For example, farmers, we know they were often the ones that were killing the big birds of prey because they were they were posing a danger to their livestock. Okay. Mm -hmm. There'll be always there will be always someone happy. But they are so all these animals are so important, like like ours, even you know, birds of prey, they all catch rodents. And obviously, you know, rodents can be a much bigger problem than than these birds of prey for the for the farmers. Mm -hmm. no doubt. So it's yeah, it's all connected. It all makes sense. They are all needed. Yeah, yeah. I love it too. I love it too. And and you know, it's it's interesting because farmers is like, it's not like a one homogenous group. I know a lot of farmers who are supportive even. We even said like something like, well, am I the only one who would like to farm in the presence of lynx accepting mm -hmm. some losses? And and then there are, you know, a group of farmers who are like, they, 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 they even protesting the limits on cutting hedges in a certain time of year. They would like to cut mm -hmm. everything. And then, yeah, I, I think it's important to, to, to make that know that we tend to um quite often generalize and those generalizations are com you know they're coming for a reason and they're quite often useful for conveying certain messages but then there's always group that's going to be you know unfairly treated by being thrown in one bucket right like oh you all you are animal lovers you all want to go vegan like no no they're you know there's if if someone likes animals there's they're not necessarily extremists Mm -hmm. and, and likewise you know if you're a farmer like you know you not necessarily want to like cut everything and just run cattle everywhere you, and especially that's and i'm curious about your view on this because i see um like let's let's be honest farmers are in the irish context especially but i think around the world they are key to habitat protection they are key to conservation um because they're on the land and they work on the land and there are so-called stakeholders, right? Because this will affect them the most, which is quite often a line of divide because, oh, you urban folks have no idea you want to wolf everywhere, but you don't live with the consequences, right? It's a, it's a typical, which, is, which has a, a certain, um, you know, merits to it. Do you, 
do you see or are you concerned that a lot of movement, like environmental movement, seems to be, you know, at odds or head bashing against the farmers? Do you see do you see that? And do you see that as a problem? There will be always some some conflicts, like regardless what we do, there will be always an unhappy party, you know, in this. But I believe we should we should respect each creature. Like it's not just our home, this planet. We have to share with all these different animals. I know sometimes they can be frustrating if you have a livestock and and something attacks it. Like I have three pet hens, for example, in my garden. Oh. And I know how frustrating it is. Uh, to see foxes walking, you know, nearby or cats. Cats are actually terrible because the hens are so scared of them. <laughs> they make so much noise when they see them. But luckily, we haven't had any, any of them um, in, in the garden for quite a long time. Yeah, so I understand it's frustrating, but, you know, that's what I do. I try to protect my, my hens. I I built, you know, a good, good structure, like a big cage, so they save this, you know, net, good wooden frame and and yes then i feel safe they feel safe okay so something like that has to be done if you want to live peaceful because everybody has a right to to live here to hunt for food we, we cannot just uh, kill them because they are you know they they bother us mm -hmm. yeah yeah 100 how did you how did you come about uh keeping hands uh I just say you no. Know, I never was into hands actually. You know, I, I never really liked them. And then uh, a year ago, I had this idea: Why won't we get hands? You know, because I always want. I love pets. I always love to be surrounded by animals. So, like in the when I was a child, I had pet mice. I had hamster. I was fish uh, in, in aquariums, and I always want to have a dog. And I always had no, no, no dog, no dog. So <laughs> the, all the other animals were kind of a substitute for a dog for me. And then, yeah. <laughs> so I just like caring about something, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, my partner, he never wanted to have a dog, but he said yes to hands because they are not practically useful. You can have eggs. Okay? Uh, a practical man, huh? Yes, exactly. <laughs> At so least like, we can have eggs, probably. <laughs> That's it. So they cost, actually, they cost a lot because you have to build all these, you know, cages and buy them food. I buy only organic food, you know, only the, the best things that they have. They have an amazing care. And yeah, so that's it. They are they're lots of fun with them. They're nice creatures. They're actually very smart. So one of them uh, were in the process of building a big run because the one I have is quite small and I have a, this part of the garden is separated. So they have access to that small one. And there's a fence, but one of the hands she always finds a way to escape. <laughs> like <laughs> a always free spirit. The, huh? Yes, the weak spot, you know, in the fencing, the little hole, the little gap, and she she goes out. Yeah. So that's so uh, this week finally we our hunting man will be free to to build a proper big structure. So we'll be always, you know, there safe not to worry about my plants, my beautiful garden. Okay. So <laughs> yeah, you're not so then, you're not letting them out like completely. They're always in the uh, pen. I I do like a few hours a day. They they free range on the grass, but recently they they just make so much damage that uh, it has they have to be supervised. And recently, well, like less than two weeks ago, finally I've got a dog. Hey! <laughs> so after like thirty years of dreaming about a dog, I've got one. My my partner said yes because as because I suggested the smallest breed available, <laughs> so just to not bother It's almost him like a hamster, much. honey. <laughs> exactly, it is like a sm the size of a kitten. It's a chihuahua, a little cute chihuahua puppy, and she's absolutely adorable. So I think that even my partner started liking her. Ah, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Presents yeah. because she's really so cute and full of affection and you know, everything. So saying that, now my hands are not allowed to the main part of the garden because I want the little puppy to eat the, the droppings, you know, the stuff before she's fully vaccinated, especially. Yes. So yeah, they, they will get a proper big cage, and that's where they will oh, stay. Lovely. And and did you did you had any did you manage to save those hands, or did you, did you have any losses or over the time? Because I had one loss. It was, um, yeah, it was so unbelievable. So I unlocked the hands. I used to do it around six o'clock. Literally two minutes later, I went to my to, inside the house to the bathroom, started you know brushing my teeth, whatever. 
and I could hear some commotion. I opened the window, I didn't see anything, I just could hear the screaming of the hen. So I ran down and there was a fox leaving. Oh, Mr. Fox. And the hen, yeah, the hen was, was dead. She died on my hands. Oh. Very dramatic moment. You can hear the, you know, any Comoricans music in the background and the hen dying on my hands. <laughs> yeah, so that was very heartbreaking. So really, like minutes after I opened the cage, and that's it. And I never seen the, the fox back. Yeah, yeah. So, so, so he didn't. He didn't took the hand in the in the. No, he, no. The, this, the, did you did you leave, did him. you leave the hand for the fox then or? Did so you... actually, I left the hand there for one day, hoping the the, the fox will come back and we take her. But no, unfortunately, mm -hmm. didn't. It didn't happen. So yeah, just wow. had to bury her. Kudos! Mm -hmm. Like not not many people would do that. You really, you really understand these things. You're really into this. That like you actually left the hand for the fox to take it. Yes, but it's like actually Fantastic. when I was talking later with, with other uh, chicken owners, they say foxes very often just come kill and don't even take the kill. So it's like it seems like completely pointless. I don't know. Maybe they they just do it in a few different places and then they plan to come back for the kill, yeah. but they sometimes forget. I don't know how how it works. Yeah. Yeah. For them, so yeah, it it's it's interesting this 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 surplus killing and you know uh, part of that is probably because they're just have so many around them that they just can't help. It's like yeah, right. This is not natural situation for the mm -hmm. for any animal. Um, but then I don't know, I don't know. Uh, but you scared the fox in the first place, right? When you run out with your toothbrush <laughs> it was like, ah. i mean you know i felt sorry for the fox because i think it was it was march so i believe it was female you know with mm -hmm. pups so she was just looking yeah, for food to, to, to support herself and uh, and the little ones and so yeah, i really hope that she will come back to to get this that mm -hmm. you already so, answered my question because my 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 next question was going to be did you felt any kind of need for revenge of the fox no, like get the shotgun and get the get the burger <laughs> no, uh, but not. clearly clearly you were uh, you were very understanding uh, what, yeah, what it happened. was of course yeah upsetting because it was my hand i had two hands at that time so then i was left with one mm -hmm. and you know they don't like to be alone mm -hmm. uh, but yeah i understood that was uh, that animal was really in need because that was the, the breeding season and I like foxes, they're beautiful animals, absolutely amazing. And you know, they have to eat something that just happened that they she wanted to, to get Almost like hand, a dog. Happens. What can you do? <laughs> you could have like a like a domesticated fox, like a friendly fox instead of a dog. Now you have a dog, so it's obvious. Well, I see that I was actually reading, funny enough, you said about foxes can they be tamed. So yes, they can be tamed, but you cannot toilet train them and uh, train them. And as you know, they they pull it stinks so much okay so if you cannot toilet train them no absolutely <laughs> it's impossible to keep it as a pet unless it's you know outside but still you would have it in the garden all the stench so i don't think that's a good thing and did you get those hands like from the from the chicks or did you bought the already big ones no, or no, this, I, are they like rescue hands uh, i bought them they were around 16 weeks old so I had to wait a few more months for them to start laying eggs. So then, when when one was uh, gone, I had to buy. I decided to buy two two hens. And then again, I had to wait this few more months until they they started laying eggs. But it's a good thing about buying young ones because they you can tame them. They get used to you very quickly. They respond to you to your you know the, the sounds you make to call them. <laughs> so now whenever I click my tongue, they know that's the sound for the food. So they run to me like dogs, you know, they're so funny. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Oh man, this is this is this is fantastic. Um listen, let's let's go back to the book for for a for a second and um I want to talk about the all the ocean creatures because obviously Ireland is a is an island and, and we have so much at least should have so much diversity when it comes to um what what was your like a one animal from the sea creatures that from the book that that kind of stuck in your in your in your mind the most? Okay, because I'm a dog person, I like the spiny dogfish. Ah, <laughs> lovely. So they have actually they uh, they have a number of different names, so including spur dog, pike dogfish, spiky dog. Spur dog, yeah. I never I like you know coming from angling background. 
all the anglers will say spur dog. It's just it's just a spur dog. Yeah. Spiny dog <laughs> is kind of like a, almost treated as a scientific name. Same uh-huh. with bullhoss. Bullhoss or hoss. They're 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 called nurse hound. So even experienced charter skipper told me once, like, I never heard call them nurse hound, Tommy. But they're so this is this is this is funny <laughs> how many like local names the fish yes. have. Yeah, so like, you know, you might wonder why they are called like that. Uh, so apparently, when they chase, they, they, they prey, they um, form large dog-like packs. Oh. Okay, so they attack in groups. And yeah, it's a, it's a little shark. It's the size is up to one meter long. It's, uh, it's not dangerous for humans. It, it does not attack humans. Yeah, so we don't have a headline like this. Yes, Killer shark exactly. spotted. <laughs> so they are endangered in the Republic of Ireland. So the the population is uh, the size of the population in, in the in Northern Ireland is, is good. So just endangered here in in, in these waters, and uh, yeah, they're usually caught by accident. So by 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 catch because you know we don't. I don't think we eat the meat. Oh, we so. do. We do? Yeah, I think they're they're called a, a rock salmon. Ah, yes. Okay, so I wasn't sure if if they're consumed here because I know they're consumed around the world, you know. But I never, I just never seen their yeah, restaurants, yeah. you know. Yeah. Uh, well, because their 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 population collapsed. But uh, mm-hmm. number okay. of years ago, in in County Clare, it was mm-hmm. like a big uh, sport dog boom, and the you know massive commercial fleet moved in to County Clare, and they well obviously they. You know, were fishing until they were all gone, and then they moved on to the to the different uh, different place. Um, but at, then, at the time, there was like a many you know hundreds of thousands dollars or euros or or, or, or pounds at the time made of uh, of the um, uh, spore dogs or spiny dogfish. And this is actually something I want to talk about. And, and just just what I said that yeah, there, there was a moment when they were significant commercial uh, species. And they were just wiped out in a matter of years, and then the fleets move on somewhere else. But yeah, like rock salmon, when you were ordering fish and chips, rock salmon, that was a sport dog. Okay, well, good to know. See, I don't really, um, I don't eat fish and chips. I don't like that, so maybe that's why I never... You don't like fish, or you just don't like fish <laughs> and, and chips? Fish and chips, I don't like the way that the fish is cooked all covered in this thick layer of butter. I just hate yeah. it. <laughs> <laughs> I like when it's not... not Buttered, no breadcrumbs, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, f- How do you prefer fish? Like ways. just, just uh, just fried. I like fried uh, oven bake sometimes. Yes, but I, I prefer fried, but without any layer of breadcrumbs. Okay, I agree. just you know, salt I agree. and pepper. I agree. It's sometimes it's sometimes is over the it's sometimes over the top. Like was like like you said, like the thick layers. Like yeah, know, it's like a pocket. You you cut it and you see this tiny bit of fish. You know, enclosed in this capsule of butter. I, I think there is a reason. I think there is a there is a you know a reason for that. You don't need that much fish to do like a big dish. Like, oh, look at this yes. massive yes. fish and chips. And there's like you have it like a tiny little piece of fish inside. Yeah, <laughs> that might be a piece of that. In there. Yeah. Ah, you also talk about the uh, skate. Oh, yeah, white skate. The skate. The yes, skate is like white skate. skate was. It's it's not that long ago when it was identified as a, spe- a separate species right mm. because we were like just just a skate or the common skate and i i think mm-hmm. if, if, if i remember correctly then it was divided into subspecies of a of a of a blue skate and white skate i don't know someone who listening to that might be might be able to correct me but i think that the white skate is not that long ago uh it was identified as a separate species okay now i didn't know that that's that's great to learn uh, so yeah, you might provide them right. <laughs> so what I have here about them is they are critically endangered in Ireland. They can reach up to two meters in length, which are quite big. They don't look white to me though; they are more grayish, greenish. So it's a mystery to me why they're called white. And um, what else? Ah, there's an organization, Marine Dimensions which actually records different species of skates and rays. So if you find uh, mermaid pulses, that's the capsules with eggs on the beach, you can actually report that on that website, Marine Dimensions There's many. There's many of these actions to to uh, do these egg case hunts. And a funny thing yeah. you you mentioned, like uh, um, recording those those skates. 
Ireland um, actually, I want to say this straight on a, on a, on a positive. Ireland actually runs a very successful shark and skate tagging program, mm -hmm. which is entirely anglers based. Uh, so essentially anglers, they touch the skate. And obviously we're going again into controversial territory because a lot of people don't like skate being caught and so on and so forth. But the truth is that those fish gets getting tagged. And I was talking with uh, a few scientists in, in uh, Ireland, Irish and, and British, and not only that database provides very invaluable information about the distribution and, and the fish. It also, that program is a really inspiration and like a gold standard for other tagging programs around the, well, I don't know if they're around the world, but certainly in the UK. Um, so Irish tagging, skate and shark tagging program is, as far as I'm led to believe, uh, very important and very successful. Um, which is which is like what's what's your what's your take on like f hunting and fishing? Do you do you see that as a important part of people engaging with nature and kind of learning to love and appreciate, or do you see this more as a danger and you know like really shouldn't be doing that? You know, the commercial fishing that's that's a then poses a danger definitely because you know the huge amount of fish there there. Uh, caught in all these massive nets, but you know, recreational fishing, I don't think that poses any risk. I mean, I don't do that myself, I wouldn't like doing that. It just, you know, something against my net, I wouldn't like to, to harm them, even though I eat fish, I just wouldn't like to catch them, seeing the hooks in their mouth, it just you know, puts, puts me off. But uh, yeah, if you just, you know, fish recreationally once in a while. I don't think that poses any risk unless you catch endangered species. Then, of course, you should always put them back mm -hmm. in the water. Yeah, and 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 adhere to the handling practices because there's also, especially when we talk about it's a it's a it's actually a good moment talking about the sharks and skates. Um, there need to be handled properly um, to ensure survival after release. Mm -hmm. So, so that's that's an, yes. that's an important. Like overall, Laga, how are you? Are you feel? How would you feel? Maybe that's a better question about the situation that is unfolding in in terms of, you know, every animal we talk about is you know either endangered or is not doing that well. There's a there's a few like opportunistic like hooded crows or maybe foxes that are doing well, mm -hmm. but only because everything else is hammered. And. Um, so are, are you overall, are you, are you optimistic and you think that we're on a kind of that the tide starts to turn or you sometimes just, just have a feeling of hopelessness and frustration when you, when you look at it's the nature? A, a mix of both, I believe, because it's so many organizations that really fight for, for these animals, like, you know, Birds Watch Ireland. They have so many programs, so many initiatives. And... Um, like this marine dimensions, the, you know, the sharks and trace tagging you mentioned. So this, you know, half-half part of the society is fighting for them, parts like farmers or, you know, whoever, they, they will be fighting against uh, having them around. But I think it's getting better. Like, you know, all island pollinators plan, for example, uh, launched a number of years ago by, by, the, by the Biodiversity Data Center. So they are doing so well. They produce so many materials, education materials for both children and adults. And uh, you can see a lot of publications, like in newspapers, magazines, they own publications as well so it's quite a na nationwide movement to protect the species and i think yeah ireland is i think that's my feeling at least you know from what i see that uh, we're on the on the right track here mm -hmm. yeah i kind of feel like a the tide starts to turn that's what i'm yeah, like may, maybe we we still I, I i i still think we are on a on a on a you know kind of downhill part of it but I oh, like like you said, there's more and more discussions about it. There's more and more awareness ra being raised. You know, 
Uh, and man, you're a part of that because you just you just uh, released a book for for kids to do that to do just that. So this is just like a, you know proving the pudding. This is where where we're doing a lot of more about it. So I, I gently optimistic, and I think yeah, it's always a question like how much we're we gonna lose before we we be on an upturn, right? Like curlew, which you're which you mentioned in the book as well. You, oh, know, yes, you have yes, a chapter about curlew. Yes, you know, that's my unpopular opinion. Uh, I don't even if it's if it's unpopular, but I, I think that in Ireland, cardio is as good as done. We have like down to like handful of pairs, right? Yes, it's it's a very small number. Although recently, when I posted like one of the pictures of the book, somebody commented on Facebook, wherever that wherever that person lives, she can see curlews from her window. Mm-hmm. So that's wow. she's she's the lucky one, yeah. Are the curlews or are the wimbrels? Uh, she said curlews. There's so, yeah. a that's yeah. a common mistake. I made that mistake. You know, I, I was I was walking around here on the on the show. I was like, oh man, there's so many curlews, and they posted a photo, uh-huh. and yeah. and somebody replies <laughs> like, are you sure? Is it not oh. the wimbrel? <laughs> I was like, oh man, uh-huh. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> wimbrel oh. is like a smaller, has a shorter beak, I think. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's only but, like a migrant bird. It's not. It's not. A lot of yes, it's easy to get confused, actually. So yeah, this this guys, this only estimated number of breeding pairs is less than one hundred fifty on in the Republic of Ireland, and Northern Ireland is believed to have uh, between two hundred and five hundred pairs. So again, a bit better, similar to the, uh, as the spurdocks population is bigger there. Interesting. That's interesting why, yeah. why why that happened. And for all interesting people who are interested again, like episode one oh one, uh you can learn more about curlew and the and the um conservation of curlew mm-hmm. uh, for those interested. Right. Just one thing actually about curlew, because we all talk about planting new trees, new forests, okay? So that's a big topic. And some species actually benefit from having less tree coverage for like like curlew because uh, one of the reasons why it's being endangered because there's a loss of the habitat more trees being planted and in the forest in the woods the predators like to hide so if the forests are close to the breeding site of course that means that they are endangered at risk of, of getting you know killed by those predators hiding in the woods yeah 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 and 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 actually mary wrote, wrote that book big tooth and claw and this is it that Kerryu benefited from like a slow farming where it was mm-hmm. these, 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 it's a waiter, but it was actually benefiting from a farmland and, and like this slow farming and the farming intensification mm-hmm. caused what you're saying, like a habitat loss. Yeah. And, and then the, you know, planting trees, you know, are there, are there, are there trees like a timber plantations, right? Which is another, mm-hmm. which is another, yeah. it is fascinating, like how, in a view of um, casual observer who is not like a deep into into this this stuff like you and I, <laughs> provided I'm deep in that. Uh, at least I have a podcast, right? I'm not a scientist or anything. But um, uh, people don't don't realize, like for example, those timber plantations. Like, oh, there's a tree, there's a great, right? But they no, no, it's a actually desert. There's nothing live there. There's a mm-hmm. groundwater pollution. There's there's it's just like an ecological disaster. But on the surface, it's like, oh, great, they're planting all those trees. Looks beautiful, right? yeah. So it's it's in, it's interesting. Um, Aga, tell us uh, where is the best place to get your book. Is I it like is it is it is it Amazon or is it something or is it like a place where where you would benefit? The no, most? it's it's available everywhere nationwide in books in the bookstores. Okay, that's the so if you fancy going you know around to, to the shops, you can you can have a look. Maybe it will be in your local one as well. So there's a number of bookstores you know um, uh, in the country. But the easiest way will be just to buy it online uh, from my website aga-grandovich.com. We put or a link in the description the, of the show, so folks can yes, check the description now, of the show. If, yes, or the, the publisher's website, naturalworldpublishing.ie. If you order this through my website, I can uh, send you a signed copy. You can even ask about the dedication. Awesome. That's, that's okay. fantastic. Remarkable Creatures, a guide to some of Ireland's disappearing animals. That's it. Uh, it's uh, folks. It's wonderful book, and for for your kids. And I I think we need to do like a rerun of this episode or some promo action prior to Christmas time, um, 
because I, I really I really wish a lot of people would buy this book uh, to their children to raise the awareness and and spark that love for nature in the children. And then, by the way, our great friend of the podcast, Porik Fogarty, uh, wrote a yes. a uh, um, in, introduction or or, or uh, it's a it's a um, little review on the back cover. The, yes, 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 and it was like even when when the first time we spoke, it's like Porig wrote like a well massive book called Whittled Away, mm -hmm. and your book is almost like a children's version of Whittled Very Away, <laughs> which is which yeah. is fantastic. And and like I said, he, he, and I can't stress it enough. Even even grown-ups they should they should buy that book read it pass it to their children do the activities with their children and then they can go ahead and buy a whittled away as a as a proper mm -hmm. adult version of the book yes so that's, that's so this is this is fantastic i got how people can get in contact with you on you're on twitter you're on instagram right yes facebook? i'm on uh, instagram facebook and and twitter yeah i just want to say that this book has been really incredibly well received like i think so many lovely compliments and like as you say this book could be well suited for a grown-up there was one person who said i ordered a few copies for my children now i see i should have bought one for myself as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah fantastic yeah it was also featured in uh, irish independent it was a section uh, the best children books um so far of the year so that was really really nice fantastic and, Congr yeah. congratulations are you planning to 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 you know like do the second edition like like a you know uh continue uh being an author because i understand like from the beginning of our conversations that you were more focused on the on illustrations and on uh kind of drawing but now it seems like a, that that you're uh you know starting your your writer's career actually no i i had this funny you asked about that because i always want to i mean always like for last uh, since i started you know being involved in that all that i wanted to write a book uh, by myself but then I realize how much true because I'm not a zoologist, I'm not a scientist, ecologist. There are amount of research that went into it. it. Took so much of my time, of my time. And I thought, okay, I done it. That's fine. The next one, I will just, you know, it will be written by someone else, edited by my favorite editor, who is absolutely amazing, Gina McCrudden, and then I will just do the artwork. Okay. Okay. Yeah, so you're so not. So you're not, not envisaging <laughs> writing another book. <laughs> Um, not yet. Maybe I will change my mind in a, in a while. Like I have a number of ideas. So there's, you know, like I have drafts of the text, but I just don't feel like, you know, working on that portion. I just prefer to give someone an idea and ask about. I can almost see this. like, you know, you have like a 10, 15 years old and then the next one is going to be like, a, you know, 15, 21 for people to keep them keep 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 the momentum going keep people educated educating and keep them engaged in nature and um protecting everything um so again what's what's your what's your instagram handle uh it's uh aga grandovich together okay uh, i believe that twitter now finally i forgot twitter is the same anyway when you google which one is the best one it. which one is the best one is it, is it uh, facebook I... It's Instagram. I don't really like Facebook. It's too chaotic for me. I'm always ready to give up on my Facebook yeah. too. Was like, oh, yeah, man. they changed the, 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 the way the pages work. And so now you have to switch between profiles when you want to see the notifications. And I just I just can't deal with that. And all the mess, all the ads and everything. No. So Instagram is my thing. Uh, Twitter, not so much. I'm not there too often. But yeah, I, I still use that. So the best thing, so, Aga Grandovich on, on Instagram is the best yeah. way to, to reach out to you. Mm -hmm. And the book is available. Best way to buy the book, folks, on uh, on your website, agagrandovich.com, is it? Yes, aga-grandovich.com. Aga I'm going to put that in the, in the description down below. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, do you want to leave us with any words of wisdom? <laughs> um, I think that it's very important to to teach children about wildlife from the from very young age. So like even when it comes to domesticated animals, like 
introduce them. Even I know that sometimes it's a it's a big responsibility to have a pet in the house. But if it's a little thing like a hamster that lives just like two three years, that you know doesn't take much of your time. It's still a good way to show children different creatures how they live, how they behave, how you can feed them, how you can look after them, and that you know little steps like that can. Uh, can build a nice foundation for for the future. So just uh, we make a child prepared to to you know share this planet with other creatures and respect them and treat them well. Absolutely, absolutely, Aga, preach, preach, sister. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> Appreciate your time. Thank you, Tommy. Thanks so much.